Hello and welcome to the Thriving on Purpose broadcast. My name is Sebastian Richard and tonight we're going to talk a bit about outreach and evangelism. And uh, of course, I'm going to introduce you further into this new resource that I brought forth uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit and my wife. Uh, I did it all for you, an intimate letter from Jesus, which is a 155-page book that is meant for outreach. So the title of this broadcast is if Jesus wrote you a letter, would you read it? And it's an interesting question for sure. But at the same time, I think if you were to ask that question to just about anyone, anyone, even a Satanist, chances are they would say, yeah, yeah, I would read it. Why? Because it doesn't matter where you come from, what you think of Jesus, everybody has an esteem for Messiah, an esteem for Jesus Christ. Even though they may think uh, of him a certain thing that he is not really, there is a general esteem for Jesus Christ. Some people think he's a great teacher. Some people think he, he was a miracle worker. Others a great prophet. Others the son of God, such as myself. But it doesn't matter where you come from. Jesus has a reputation that precedes him, and it's a good one for the most part. So most people you would ask this to, they would say, yeah, I, I would definitely read a letter from Jesus. So that's the premise of the book. That's where the book came from. But before I dive deep into this teaching that has to do with outreach, you're going to find it interesting. Stick around. I just want to do a little uh, 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 outreach of my own, in inviting you guys that uh, to go visit our website at thrivingonpurpose.com if you haven't done so already and sign up to our newsletter once you're there to stay up to date with all of our news and updates. This will also enable you to follow this powerful life-changing ministry despite all the censorship that is going on. While you're at it, make sure you check out our unique store, our Kingdom Patriot and Remnant Arising merch. And with Father's Day just around the corner, make sure you go check out the amazing products that we uh, got out for that event. And if you feel led to partner with this teaching ministry or to sow a seed, you can do so on our website by clicking the Give button that you will see at the very top. And now I have taken far too much of your time with this. Let's get on with tonight's teaching, which is titled, If Jesus Wrote You a Letter, Would You Read It? Or would your brother read it? Would your mother read it? Would your coworker read it? Your neighbor read it? Your friend, your best friend? There's always someone in our vicinity, in our surroundings, that doesn't know Jesus Christ personally. They've heard of him, of course, because everybody's heard of him. But not everybody has a saving relationship with the Messiah. And this is what this book is all about. It was to present Jesus in a whole new light for people who, for the most part, think they might know him. But as they read through the book, they will realize that, you know what? I, I didn't know the Messiah that way. And that's what the whole purpose of the book was about. So uh, let's talk about the reactions that we get from people. I, I mean, I've been a believer since I was nine years old. I've spoken to a lot of people in my life about my faith, shared my faith, uh, sometimes with semi-success, other times, most times, with uh, not too much success. A lot of people uh, would have uh, rebukes or would be rebuffed at uh, the mere mention of Christianity or the Bible. 
especially the Bible. Uh, anyway, here's some of the reactions that I got. And, and you're probably going to recognize those reactions. Oh, I got those. I, 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 I got those. <laughs> so I'm just going to share some of the reactions that I remember getting all throughout my life with all kinds of different individuals when I would share my faith and try to bring a person into a deeper understanding of the scriptures and of the work of Messiah. Number one, have you heard this one? Well, after you expounded everything, like after you really eagerly shared your faith, people go like, well, that's just your truth. Heard, ever heard that one? I've heard that one a few times. Number two, it is what it is. Nobody's perfect, right? So we basically tell the person that, you know what, you're a sinner and someday we're all going to uh, be before the throne of God and we're, he's going to review our lives and we're going to have to be judged by him. And, and people are like, well, you know what? Nobody's perfect. That's the way he made me. So why would he judge me? Blah, blah, blah. Number three, I've heard this one quite a few times. No one can know the truth or God himself. A lot of people uh, have a, def a defeated mindset when it comes to knowing God, knowing truth. I mean, if you know God, you know truth. He is truth. But a lot of people don't believe that you can attain uh, a knowledge of the truth. So they, they're like, no way, man. That is not possible. That is your truth. There's no way you can know the truth. Number four. I've heard that one quite a few times. You're judging me. You're judging me. You're judging me. People jumping up. And, Stop judging me. And they're not judging me. I, mean, I just quoted a Bible verse. <laughs> I've heard that one quite a lot. And, and it's funny because they, they feel they, they, that's basically the Holy Spirit, because when you hear the Bible, when you hear the word of God, it brings conviction. Right. And for some people, that conviction, they identify it as you judging them. But you just quoted, let's say you just quoted the Bible verse. So, and, and you know what? Let's be honest here. Sometimes Christians were awkward. We, we can come out too strong or come out maybe sounding judgmental, but I know that most believers I know, when they share their faith, they're, they're not judgmental. They're not out there trying to condemn people, but they are often misunderstood. Mis I have a hard time. Blah, blah, blah. Don't forget I'm French. Okay. That's my main language. So most people may think you're judging them when you're in fact just concerned and sharing your faith with them. So you're judging me. That's a very popular one. Number five, and I've heard that one quite a bit. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You think you're holier than thou. And you're like, no, dude, I'm just, I'm just trying to share my faith. I just want you to, I just want you to enjoy that relationship with Christ that I have, that I have. <laughs> I'm just so excited. And who do you think you are? So I've heard that one as well. So if you've done any outreach in your life, if you've been bold, if you've been out there, putting yourself out there and being willing and obedient to obey the word of God, because they, when, when we do outreach, we're, we're basically obeying the Great Commission. So if you've done some of that, you've encountered probably some of these same things. And on top of that, you've probably also uh, encountered the main objections, the main objections of most people concerning faith in Jesus. So let me put this in, in perspective. If you haven't been pushed back by the initial things that I just uh, told you, for example, like, well, that's just your truth, or it is what it is. Nobody's perfect. No one can know the truth or God himself. You're judging me. 
who do you think you are holier than thou you're such a hypocrite blah 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 if you've been able to overcome those initial objections and dig a little deeper then you encounter the second wave of objections and i'm going to go through the 10 top ones right now and if you're anything like me i'm sure you'll be like yep i've encountered those as well okay here they are okay number one christians are hypocrites christians are hypocrites and uh, when I encountered that one, I always kind of laugh a little bit. And the person often looks at me like, why are you laughing? I'm like, well, it's kind of a little, little bit true. <laughs> because, hey, let's be honest. I've been to church. I, I know the church dynamics. And I know there's a lot. Unfortunately, a lot of people in churches who are, first of all, not all people in churches are actually really Christians. So that's number one. Uh, and number two, yes, there are hypocrites in church. So for a person to come out and say that, usually it's because they've had bad experiences in churches. Does that have to do with Christianity? Well, not so much. Although a lot of people identify church with Christianity, they think it goes hand in glove, which it, it doesn't really. Uh, church is religion. Christianity is relationship. Two very different things. But Christians are hypocrites. That's what I hear a lot. Uh, number two. What about the atrocities Christians have committed throughout history? And they often point out the two, two come to mind, the Crusades, where there was so much bloodshed and violence, and the witch trials, where many women lost their lives who weren't even witches. So obviously, you have to address that. Uh, we have, uh, you know, as believers, we have to do this. We have to uh, address these things. Uh, uh the Apostle Peter said, always be ready to present, uh, to, to back up the hope that is in you. I don't have the exact wording here, but but Peter said that. It says, always be ready to give, um, to give a, a reason for the hope that is in you and a ready defense. Number three, Christianity is a crutch. I have heard that one a few times from mostly from high intellectuals, from people usually who have been to university for a long time and who think that they are wise, who think that they, they know quite a bit. Usually they'll say this because they prefer uh, reading philosophers or reading the deep stuff and they think that Christianity is a crutch for weak people. So that's something you might have had to um, counter with arguments or maybe, and, and that's the whole point of this presentation here. The whole point is, let's be honest, most of the time we don't have a ready defense. Most of the time when we get presented with these objections, it can stump us, and frustratingly so. Number four, it's narrow-minded to think Jesus is the only way to God. It's narrow-minded to think Jesus is the only way to God, thus calling Jesus a liar because he said he was the only way to God. Uh, but a lot of people will say this as a, um, a rebuttal or uh, an argument against Christianity. Number five, being a good person is all that really matters. Being kind to people, doing good around you. A lot of people think that's all that really matters and that God is going to judge us on the good that we've done. Right. So uh, and uh, I think it was uh, there was an evangelist I watched on TV he made a good point of that. He said uh, if you go to court, for example, we've all broken the Ten Commandments. That's God's law, okay? God's law is the Ten Commandments that's summed up in those ten. We've all broken God's law, 
singular and plural. Okay, we've broken more than one commandment. And once you, the Bible says you've broken one, you've broken all of them. So in the court of God's law, we're all guilty before him of having broken the Ten Commandments. Now, if you go to court, you committed a crime and you're guilty of that crime. And you say to the judge, yes, but I do a lot of good around me. I help people and I'm kind. And the judge is going to look at you and be like, are you kidding me right now? And that's kind of the logic that these people say being a good person is all that really matters. First of all, no one is good but God. Jesus said that. And second of all, well, it's not going to work in the court of the heavenly courts. Number six, what about those who've never heard about Jesus? You know, those people deep in the jungle, deep, deep down there. What about those? Are they going to go to hell? Right? <laughs> Probably heard that one as a, uh, as a rebuttal. And you need to have a ready defense and a ready answer also uh, to offer. You know, the Bible says that uh, we are, you know, they may not know Jesus Christ, but they have a revelation of God through creation. Just by looking at nature and all of creation, we have a, a visual revelation of God himself in through his creation. So right then and there, we should all be deists. And most of us uh, would Anyway, in Western society, many many people are not even that. Uh, so let's talk about the jungle people another time. But the point is, it, it's just through creation. That's what the Bible says. Anyway, number seven, the Bible is filled with errors. So if you've encountered that, and the person, if if the person has read a few articles or, or has, has documented some ideas about that, uh, if it's something that you're not familiar with, it might come as a shock. I know a lot of Christians who've encountered that argument and when presented with certain interesting facts that come that do come from you know scholarly biblical works and, and evidence, they are stumped and they can't go they can't move past that. Number eight, if God is so good, why is there evil in the world? That's a good question. And you know what? There's a lot of these objections, by the way, just by the way, a lot of these objections are valid. I mean, they come from thinking minds. Uh, you, you know, the people ask themselves some deep questions sometimes, and they look, they consider things, they observe, and they come to certain conclusions. I'm not saying the conclusions they come to are good or or, or they're 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 um, truthful, but these are legitimate questions because our observing we observe stuff. Right. Even even as Christians, I've asked myself that question. If God is so good, which I know he is, why is there so much evil in the world? And you know what? Ironically, I came to the answer only maybe five years ago. Five years ago, I understood that it wasn't just sin alone that caused evil in the world. I, I, I began to understand a little bit more. Another one that, that is that goes kind of hand in hand with that number eight, if God is so good, why is there evil, is number nine. If God is so good, why is there so much suffering in the world? Another very valid question and observation. So as believers, we should have a ready answer for such questions. I'm not going to go into the answers, by the way, tonight. I'm not, I just want to cover the arguments that we encounter Okay, because I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm, I want to talk about this wonderful little book right here that offers people not only hope, but a lot of answers. Okay. Oh, but, and I have something I want to share with you when I start talking about the book as well. That's really exciting. I'm very excited about it. Number 10. 
I'm going to stop at 10 because there's more. You know that. I know that. If there's a hell, why would a loving God send people there? Why? And I've heard that one a lot. If there is a hell, if it's true, if it's true that hell exists, why would a loving God send people there? So now be honest. I've gone through that list of 10 questions. That's just 10. There's more. How many of these 10 questions would you be able to answer comfortably, reasonably, while thinking on your feet in a conversation? And would you be able to bring forth strong biblical, scientific, historical arguments? Would you be able to answer two of those 10 questions, four, six, maybe eight for the really like astute and knowledgeable people out there? So here's what I'm getting at. It's a tough juggling act out there. If you want to share your faith, you're going to encounter a lot of objections because people, I mean, we've, we've been on earth for 2000 years since Jesus came and there's a lot of stuff that happened and uh, people look at history. They look at all kinds of stuff and they, and they get indoctrinated in schools and through the media. And we're not going to get through that, but I mean, they, they have a, a mindset. They have a certain perception about these things and they they're they many of them are, are are ready you know when when you come to them they see us coming when we we share our faith they see us coming they're ready they're ready for us oftentimes we're not ready for them we're not ready for their arguments or counter arguments and uh it's a shame so it's a tough juggling act to say the least so uh, so many of us including myself when confronted with these tough questions have not necessarily come out of the conversation with shining colors. Many of us come out of these conversations um, disappointed. Uh, a lot of us uh, are looking back and say, ah, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. Why didn't I think of this? Why didn't I think of that? And, and then we, we look back and we feel like we completely failed the person. You know, we failed our Lord. We, we feel inadequate. So, the believers who are bold enough to share their, their, their faith in today's world, the ones who are bold enough to do so on a consistent basis, they they now have to become quite skilled at let's let's be let's be logical, let's be truthful, let's look at facts. They have to be quite skilled at apologetics, reason, history, theology, religion, ethics, morals and so on and so forth. Science. Let's not forget science. So if you're not uh, gifted or, or, or knowledgeable in all those areas, it can be very, very challenging to share your faith in today's world. And you know what? All these things put together, that's not for everybody. I mean, I don't know many Christians who are able to converse in these many different disciplines, myself included. I mean, I can I can do quite well. I've done quite well in certain conversations. I've made people think, people reconsider stuff. Uh, but it's not for everybody. A lot of people are not at ease in these conversations. So for this reason, many believers, many believers I know of, I know of, they've become intimidated and they've become less engaged in sharing their faith. Uh, they kind of sadly cop out because they consider themselves to not be educated enough or well-read enough to present their case convincingly when they, when they encounter intellectual objections. 
and it's quite common in today's world. It's quite common when you share your faith with someone who's like 40 years or under, 40 years old or under, they have all this panoply of objections and you kind of have to know where you're going with this. And it, it, a lot of people can do it, but a lot of people can't. So it, it can be embarrassing when uh, we're put under this microscope and we find that in the conversation, we don't have ready answers. We don't, we don't have the answers that we feel could make the person think differently. So nobody likes to be stumped. That's not fun, including believers. I don't like to be stumped. I've had conversations where, where I was stumped uh, a few times. It wasn't too fun. But I've, I've also learned to, when I am stumped, uh, when I find myself in a, in a tough spot, I, usually I'll tell the person, you know what? That is a very interesting question. I've never really considered it. I will get back to you. Would you mind if I got back to you in a couple of days from now? I'd like to, to do a little, little bit of research and come back to you with a, a better answer than what I would give you right now because it would probably suck. And I'm being very honest with them. And they appreciate that. Usually people appreciate that. So usually I would come back to them a couple of days later and say, you know, I looked at what you were asking and here's what I found. And let me know if you if it resonates with you. And I would tell them the answer and it'd go like, you know, I think uh, your view still sucks and I'm not going to become a Christian. Or they would be like, you know what? I like the fact that you did that homework and I never considered that. And then they would um, they would say, I'll think about it. I like it. Sometimes they even told me they liked me because I was honest enough to tell them I didn't know. So there's all kinds of ways to handle these situations that are not easy. Let's be honest, right? But I know some some Christians who maybe were baby Christians or a little weaker in their faith, when they were when they encountered such arguments, it really affected their faith. I've known some who were affected in their faith uh, after an intimidating scholarly encounter with uh, an atheist or a liberal. So this is disheartening, even if we know as believers that the battle belongs to the Lord, like the Bible says. I hope what I'm saying so far is resonating with you guys, okay? So now I would like to talk about the gospel four ways. Four ways. I've realized that the gospel of Jesus Christ all throughout history and still today is uh, basically has four ways that it resonates with people. Four ways that the, go the gospel message has proven efficient. Four ways. So basically what makes people listen? What makes people lend an ear when the gospel of Christ is preached? Well, like I said, it's pretty ironic because it's pretty much the same four things that have always worked. And we're going to look at these uh, four ways the gospel has proven efficient. Number one, the most efficient way that the gospel makes great headway into the hearts and minds of people is through signs, miracles, and wonders. Because signs, miracles, and wonders speak for themselves. You don't even need, they basically, they basically go like, I want more of Jesus. This is amazing. Yes, 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 more Jesus, please. When these show up. So by far, it's the most efficient way to bring people into the kingdom of God. And it, that is when the kingdom of God itself shows up with power. And this should come as no surprise. To paraphrase the account of Jesus with the paralytic, in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we could say 
just like Jesus said, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, hear the good news and repent, or to say to him, get up, take your mat and walk. So yes, I know that it requires a lot of faith, some gifting and a lot of anointing to heal people in such a way on a regular basis. Okay. Although Jesus said we could, we could do these things in our own lives. This, this type of anointing and power is not something that we walk on hundred percent of the time, unless we're super, super gifted and anointed, which is awesome. There's some men and women out there who they were capable of switching it on and off almost instantly. And that's great. We, we've heard of Catherine Kuhlman and, and Smith Wigglesworth and others. But that's not everybody. Should it be? Yeah, but that's for another broadcast. But that's not, see, that's not everybody, unfortunately. So while it should be done by every believer, the sad reality is that it is not. Of course, the impact of these types of gospel encounters are, are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, for example, the impact of a prophetic word of knowledge. If someone has a prophetic word of knowledge about a, a thing for a person, uh, that has great impact. I've seen those types of encounters. The person, uh, the evangelist meets the person and, and says, you know, God wants me to tell you not to worry about your son. He will be healed. And the guy looks like, how do you know about my son? How do you know my son is sick? God told me, and he told me he will be healed. And here's what else I want to tell you. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you and wants you to be a part of his kingdom today. I mean, there's stuff like that that happens. And the person goes like, whoa. And, and they, may, they might get a phone call from the hospital. Your son is healed during the conversation. That's amazing. I mean, the, these are instant conversions. No no one's going to doubt that. They go like, they glorify God and they're they're in. <laughs> they <don't, laughs> there's no doubt they're in. Or when they get, when people get a, a demon cast out of them. A demon that has been hindering them, hurting them, troubling them. And these, these evil spirits are cast out. The person feels instantly better. Guess what? They glorify God. They want more of the kingdom. Or if a mighty healing is immediate, if they're if the person themselves are sick, have a backache or a, a hurt foot or, or something else, and, and you touch them and heal them, that's immediate belief, immediate conversion. The person right away comes to the Lord Jesus, and there, there's nothing that stops it. So everyone responds positively when uh, to the gospel of the kingdom when it shows up with power, signs, and mighty wonders. And Francis of Assisi once said this. He said, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. <laughs> preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Well, we're getting to number two, and now we're going to talk about this usage of words for the next two points. So the first one was with signs and wonders. Now that's without words usually. But number two talks about the gospel being preached by appealing to the hearts of the hurting. The gospel being preached by appealing to the hearts of the hurting. Now, there's a saying in Christian ministry that goes like this. He who preaches to aching hearts will always have an audience. What is, what is this to say? Everybody is hurting some way or another. 
everybody is hurting some way or another because this life is hard. The life down here is tough and we all encounter heartache. So if you preach to aching hearts, you're going to you're going to have ears willing to listen. The simple fact is this, the gospel of Christ does appeal to the hurting and the reasons are very simple. Number 1, the hurting are in need. Number two, they are open to receive help. So a lot of the hurting usually will be open to maybe something they've never heard before. And if the gospel just so happens to be the thing they've never heard, they're going to be open to it. And number three, when you're hurting, you're looking for solution. You're seeking answers, right? So when a person arrives, comes along and says, I, I have the answer that you might be seeking, they're, they're going to be more open. So the gospel, when presented lovingly proves irresistible to aching hearts. But here's the deal, though, and here's what I've observed. It takes a lot of EQ, which is emotional quotient, wisdom, and Holy Spirit insight to speak effectively and efficiently to the hearts of people. Okay? It's like, like there's some preachers or, or teachers or people who share their faith who are more gifted at talking to hearts than others. Nevertheless, those who are skilled at speaking lovingly to the hearts of people have much success in spreading the gospel of Christ. And here's something to consider. Everybody hurts in some way or another. Everybody experiences heartache and pain in this life. This simply means that most people, if approached with the right angle, the right words, most people are vulnerable to the power of the good news when presented lovingly. So generally speaking, women, women I've noticed, are usually quite skilled with this method of outreach and evangelism. Uh, my wife is one of them, and I've noted I've noted that women in general, uh, they have this more, and I'm saying it's a generality here, okay? They have more empathy, and they they are able to present the gospel more lovingly. Maybe it's their nurturing nature or their maternal instinct, but they, it seems that when it comes to the hurting, women have a way to relate to people in a way that is, you, you feel more loved. I'm not saying that men cannot show such love because let's face it, the love of the Holy Ghost speaks through us uh, as well, men or women. So the love of God, the love of Jesus manifests itself through the tongues of men and women. But women by their very nature are uh, pretty well predisposed to this particular method of evangelism. Now I'm going to talk to about number three. The third way that the gospel makes headway is when the gospel is, is preached by appealing to the minds of the skeptics. By appealing to the minds of skeptics. And that is mostly where most of us falter because, let's face it, we're not all super nerds. We're not all people who are, who are highly educated or highly scholarly or knowledgeable. 
and appealing to the minds of skeptics, you have to have a lot of good arguments and have done your homework. So you have to be well-read, well-studied, and, and to be ready. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, the Apostle Paul says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's what Paul said. And guess what? Paul was one of those intellectual giants. I don't care how spiritual you think Paul was. He was spiritual. He was a very spiritual man and disciplined man. But Paul was also a very, uh, very intellectual man. He had been taught, I think, at the feet of Gamaliel, was it? Gamaliel, I think, who was one of the top teachers in the Sanhedrin back in the day. So uh, he was very, a very, he was a star student, if you will, and he was very, very sharp, sharp quick-witted and sharp, okay? Also, in like manner, the apostle Peter said this, and that's the verse I was looking for earlier in the broadcast. I was like, ah, what's that verse again? It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, where Peter says, always be prepared. That's like a Boy Scout, right? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So Peter is basically saying, be prepared intellectually, but show the love and the heart of Christ when you present the gospel so that they, they're, they're going to have to respect you in return. And if they do insult you, they're going to feel bad afterwards. Do it in such a way. So Paul says demolishing arguments. Peter says giving a ready defense, always being ready, providing answers. Now, these are the tools of the trade today. So, let me check where I'm at. So, yeah. So, despite all that, this method of evangelism, where we're able to demolish arguments and, and uh, we have a ready defense intellectually, we know our history, we know our science, we've studied that stuff, and we have arguments to counter all the, the questions... Let's be honest. This is not for everybody. And a lot of Christians, we, 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 we struggle with that. It's hard. Okay? It's very hard. So it, it's not quite duplicatable with everybody. Okay? So despite all that, logic, reason, facts, history, and scientific knowledge can go a long way into bringing a skeptic from darkness into the light of Christ. It can go a long way, okay? So it's obviously a good tool to have or develop. So I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying a lot of Christians are not quite there yet, and it, and it can be hard for them. Number four, the last way of sharing the gospel that has proven efficient is by appealing to the senses of people. So this way is not as popular. Uh, it's a little less popular, but it actually has proven quite efficient. And that's through the arts, through the arts. Some people respond really well to visual or audio stimulation, such as movies, 
paintings, theater, music, sculpture. I mean, this stuff has proven efficient at spreading the good news of the kingdom of God throughout the centuries. And it's still going on today. Uh, the proof is that some of the best gospel presentations you will see are on YouTube in the form of videos. Um, and, and a lot of people respond to them. So it's a little bit more subtle, but it works. And, and it, some have, have had good results with that. And let's be honest, there's a lot of people who did come to Christ through stuff like that. Some came to Christ through a, a theater presentations or a, a Thomas Kincaid exposition, you know, the painter of light, you know, the guy who used to do these paintings with beautiful landscapes. Or uh, maybe listening through uh, Handel's Messiah on Christmas Eve at a concert. I mean, there's there's different ways, but but these uh, the arts is a way where God also manifests his beauty and, and he makes himself irresistible when it's well done. So that's the, the, the last way. So why am I saying this? Well, let's go back full circle. I want to talk about this book here. Okay. I want to, first of all, I want to say thank you tonight. I want to say thank you because before this broadcast, about an hour before I came on, I Did It All For You was ranked number one bestseller on Amazon Kindle for short reads in the category of religious and spiritual books. So I was ranked number one. And it's the first time in my author career that I reach uh, number one bestseller in any category. So as you can imagine, I was psyched. I was really excited about that. Really excited. And I want to say thank you to all of those who purchased it. And at the same time, I want to, again, uh, reemphasize if the book, if you bought the book, it's 99 cents on Kindle. Obviously, that probably help people to, to purchase copies. It's not expensive. It's a launch price. If you've bought the book, if you've read the book, and if you thought the book was really, really something special, please take two minutes, leave a review on Amazon. A friend did this for me this week. Uh, and I mean, she left a review, the review of reviews. And it was such a blessing. I mean, I, I, I teared up. I, I kid you not. I looked at the review. I read it as an author. And, and you know, I want, when we ask, as authors, when we ask for reviews is because we want the message to get out because algorithm is a real thing. It exists. And if you get reviews, guess what? Amazon bumps up your, your book up the list so that more people see it and more people can share the message that you're uh, trying to, to convey. But obviously uh, that helps uh to get more book, the, the book out there. But um, this friend, she, she left a review and I teared up because the review expressed exactly what I was trying to do when I wrote the book. So again, uh, if you're listening, Brittany, thank you so much once again. Anyway, so number one Amazon bestseller, I was psyched. And I want to tell you a little bit how the book came about. How did this book come to be? Well, She's not here with me tonight, but Elizabeth, oh man, maybe a little bit over a year and a year and a half ago, she had a prophetic dream, or I don't know if it was a dream or just a voice. She heard the Lord tell her she was half asleep. She heard the Lord say, I will make you into fishers of men. I will make you into fishers of men. 
And of course, we know that comes from the Gospels. That's what Jesus told Peter and the other fishermen when he called them to leave their nets and follow him. He said, I'm going to make you into fishers of men to, so that they would understand what they were going to be doing from now on. And there was an interesting uh, an interesting sentence that the Lord chose because uh, we were, I mean, we're, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. I'm a Bible teacher. Um, the, the way I've, we've been doing things at Thriving on Purpose was always aimed to empower the, the church, empower believers with more knowledge and understanding of the word of God so that they would advance in their own lives and in their service to God and, and men. So that was our, what we thought where our main mission was. But now kind of the Lord is kind of shifting us in a season of uh, evangelical effort. And um, so when Liz got that word, she told me, she says, hey, here's what the Lord told me this morning. I was like, wow, that's amazing. We had no idea how that would come about. A few months later, fast forward a couple months later after that, we're in the kitchen, we're talking, and we're talking about evangelism. We're talking about outreach. And we're like, you know what? There's stuff out there that just doesn't work. It's stuff we've been doing for decades. It used to work in the 70s and the 80s, a little bit in the 90s, but now it just doesn't work. And we were talking about the different methods that we're familiar with and that we know are really hit and miss and that the the, the batting average, let's just put it this way, the batting average just isn't uh, proving uh, that good. And we were seeing all other trends as well of what is trending in in um, in the world, what people are looking for, what people are finding, what people are liking. And we were realizing that, you know, there's stuff out there that that is stuff that you never would have seen back in the 70s, 80s, or 90s that is uh, coming to the forefront. And uh, as we were discussing, we, really, we came to the, uh, the idea, and it was a Holy Ghost idea that Elizabeth looked at me and she was like, what if we were to make a tract? It was supposed to be a tract, okay? So it wasn't supposed to be a book, but with me, everything becomes a book. I'm, I'm such a, I just love to write and sometimes annoyingly so. But so she says, what if we were to make a tract that instead of the person reading, you know, facts and, 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 and being, uh, having a narrator kind of speak to them, what if it was Jesus talking to them directly? And as soon as she said that the Holy Ghost was present in our conversation, I, I just felt it and she felt it as well. And we were like, whoa, this is amazing. Like this, this is huge. This is what we're going to do. And it was supposed to be a tract. And of course, I've always sucked at short copy and a tract is like a little, maybe four pager. And I suck at, at short copy. It's one of my weaknesses. I'm always better at long copy or long writing, whatever. So I sit down and I, I, I begin and I, and oh, that's another thing. The Lord showed me the title of the track slash book. I didn't know it was going to be a book at the time. In the same way he spoke to Elizabeth, he spoke to me again. It often happens in the early morning hours. I'm sleeping, twisting and turning. And oftentimes the Lord will speak to me. And he showed me the title that the book should have. And it was, I did it all for you. I did it all for you. And it was in the first person. It was to be written in the first person, Jesus talking to the person. So I'll wake up. I look at Liz. I say, hey, I got the title for our, our, our little uh, tract or gospel spreading adventure. And I tell her the title and right away she was like, oh, I like this. That's That really sounds great. So I started getting to work. I wrote it, became 10 pages, 12 pages. As soon as I hit 25, I like, 
I turned to Liz and says, this ain't going to be a tract. Uh, it's going to be a booklet at the very least. And she says, it doesn't matter. Just keep writing. I'm like, you're right. I'll just keep writing. I kept writing. And, and I, this book was immersed in prayer. This book on your screen right now was immersed in prayer uh, the whole time. Why? Because when you write a work like that, you don't want to misrepresent Jesus. You want to represent him the right way. So everything I, I, that I brought forth in the book, I was like, Lord, how should I say this? How should I present this? Help me to present to not misrepresent you. Help me to bring the message home. Help me to say what you want me to say. So that's the whole process of how the book came to be. And, and uh, we wanted to, uh, it, it really became a tool for me as I reflected on all those years of, of outreach and evangelism that I did. I wanted a tool that would really answer skeptics, that would uh, that would equally speak to the hearts and the minds of people. I was like, if I can pull this off, if I can write in such a way that speaks as much to the minds as to the hearts while presenting grace and truth equally, I will have done my homework because I realized that there's a lot of writings in Christianity today, not the magazine, but in Christianity today, there's books out there in the marketplace. There's a lot of them. Well, not a lot, but there's some books that are written in the first person as if Jesus is, is writing. But a lot of those books I've read and they represent a facet of Christ. A lot of them represent a facet. And I was like, I don't want Jesus to be too much of this, not enough of that. For example, too much love, not enough grace. Or too much truth, not enough love. That was another thing I didn't want to do. So I really wanted to, just like it is in the gospel. I mean, when you read the, the four gospels, uh, sorry, when you read the four gospels, you see a complete Jesus. He, he, he is so complete in everything. Perfect love, perfect truth, perfect grace perfect compassion. He, he encompasses all those things. So I didn't want to be just one thing, just grace or just truth or just love. I wanted the book to touch on all of those things because to me and to so many others, he's all those things. And I, I really wanted a tool that believers would get in their hands and be like, wow, you know, when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And oftentimes, here's the problem. The reason why we don't dare talk about the gospel of Christ boldly is because we're ashamed of how it's going to be received. And we're ashamed of the fact that we don't have all the answers. So I wanted to put a tool in the hands of believers who have an unbelieving friend, coworker, neighbor, aunt, mother, sister, brother, doesn't matter. Anybody in their family or, 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 or their loved ones or the people they know. I wanted a tool in their hands that they wouldn't be ashamed to give because they would know after reading it that this tool will address pretty much everything. I, As I wrote the book, I asked the Lord Jesus to show me pretty much everything that people struggle with today. Um, intellectual stuff hard stuff, emotional stuff, uh, the real trials of life. I wanted the Lord Jesus to offer himself as an answer through my pen. And I believe that to the best of my ability and by his grace, I was able to put forth 
155 page book that can literally, literally impact people's lives and bring them into the kingdom of God. I really believe that with all of my heart. It's a very special book. Uh, and I know you, if you've followed this ministry for a while, you're like, well, Sebastian, you say this about every book. And, and you know, that's that's the thing about authors, right? Every, every new baby that comes out, they're all happy about their baby. And it's always the best thing ever. And But this one's special. And I know I've said that before about Kingdom Fundamentals. And Kingdom Fundamentals is a very special book. But uh, th this one is, it opened up something in me. As I wrote it, it opened up something new in me. And I don't say that um, about all the books I wrote. Uh, I think it, it opened up a, a, a desire to write differently. As I wrote this book, it, uh, it, it was written differently. The Holy Spirit accompanied me every step of the way in the writing of this book. So here, I'm just going to quote you a couple of quotes, okay? Because what I wanted with... I did it all for you. I wanted a tool that would equally speak to the heart and to the minds of skeptics. I wanted something that did both. So here's a couple of quotes from the book where Jesus says this. While a wise man might fear a great God, a broken man trusts and loves only a good God. And rest assured, dear one, that I am both great and good. I came for both the wise and the broken. So that's just one of the powerful quotes in that book. Another quote where Jesus says this, uh, because, oh, throughout the book, I wrote the book in such a way that I, I really take, Jesus takes the reader by the hand and encourages him to press on reading through the book. So for the reader, it's a really incredible experience because it's like he grabs Jesus's hand. And as he's reading through the words of Jesus, Jesus is saying stuff sometimes that, that, that can, can be a little hard to, to digest. There's some truths out there that are harder than others to hear. And Jesus encourages the reader, don't stop. Keep reading. Even if, even if st some stuff offends you. Keep reading. Get to the end of this book. It's so important. So here's a quote from Jesus. He says this. At this point, I know I've encouraged you, touched you, blessed you, and yes, I've also offended you. I know, dear one. The truth is a medicine which is not always easy to swallow. Blessed are you if you are not offended at my words. My words have always brought about a dual result. They comfort the afflicted and they afflict the comfortable. So that's a quote from the book, I Did It All For You. So here's what I Did It All For You offers, okay? I'm going to try to bring it to you guys in a nutshell because I want you to understand that this is a tool that you will be happy to give as a gift. You will be happy to give it as a gift. And the proof is in the pudding. That's why the Kindle book is 99 cents, because I know most people won't believe that. So go and get the book at 99 cents, read it. And I guarantee you this, this is a guarantee that I'm issuing right here on this broadcast right now. 
So 99 cents, everyone has 99 cents, right? Okay, so you buy it on Amazon, read the Kindle copy and have a notepad handy because I guarantee to you that as you read through this intimate letter from Jesus, the Holy Spirit will highlight faces of people you know as you read the words and jot down those names of people you know. Jot down their names. You will have a list when you're done reading. And that's the list of the people you're supposed to gift the book to. I kid you not. That is how this book was written. And that is how this book will work. It's going to work for you. And here's what else you need to know about the book. The book, like I said, it, it, it's really a, it embraces the fullness of the person of Christ. It offers the reader comfort and awe. You know, when you're in awe of a great God. So it, offer, it offers comfort, but also awe of the power of God. It offers grace, but also truth. It offers intellectual reasoning, but also emotional appeal. It offers the knowledge, the full knowledge of sin, but also of salvation. It offers the bad news, which is that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but it also offers the full message of the good news. It offers a deep understanding of the heart of Christ for, sinner, for, for sinners. It offers the depth of his love and the reality of his coming judgment. It offers all those things. And the best part is about I did it all for you. The title, I did it all for you, is where Jesus is saying to the person reading it, hey, I, Jesus, I did it all for you. But here's the, here's the other good part. For believers who buy the book to give as a gift, he did it all for you too. And here's what I'm getting at. You don't have to say a word. You know, when we're doing outreach, we're always... I have to say this. Oh, uh, uh, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I think faster? Why didn't I? Why did I forget about this when I talked to the person? You don't have to say a word. Just say, "Hey, look at the person straight in the eye." Say, "Hey, Jesus wrote you a letter. Would you read it?" Ninety-nine point nine percent person is going to say, "Yeah, yeah, I would." And you tell them, "Check it out. I have a gift for you." And you just hand them over the book. And here's the thing. With a tract, when people are given a tract, they might say, thank you, take the tract, right? turn, you turn your back, you go away, guess what they're going to do with the tract? A lot of people just throw it out. It's the truth. But people don't, don't throw out books. There's a respect for books. There's a, an esteem for a book. It's a real gift. It's something that's more tangible. And people are hesitant. They don't, they don't throw out a book. They might give it away. They might leave it on their bookshelf gathering dust, but they don't throw it out. So you don't have to say a word. You just let Jesus do the talking. That's the beauty of this book. You just let, you just let Jesus do the talking. And, and like I said, the book is written in such a way that, you know, even with the overstimulation we have going in our world today, Let's be honest, there's overstimulation everywhere. So people kind of like have a short attention span, ADD, ADHD, everything needs to be exciting and quick. 
So I, uh, the Lord showed me that. That's why I wrote it the way I wrote it, so that the Lord really takes them by the hand and 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 brings them through those pages, even the tough stuff, even the tr- the t- the difficult truths that Jesus shares in the in the book. He he brings them through it, encouraging them to read on and finish the whole letter. So it's written uh, with a. a an understanding that people have a hard time concentrating today, which is the way we've been conditioned, right? And at the end of the book, in the afterword, at the end of the book, I also included a full gospel presentation, a complete, and what I mean by complete, a complete sinner's repentance prayer. So it's not just give your heart to Jesus. It's it's a complete understanding of what repentance means and and, and a complete sinner's prayer, really complete that I wrote, and also advice on what to do once you're saved. What do you do? Okay, now I've accepted Jesus Christ. What do I do? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? Okay, so I I guide the person into the ABCs of walking with Christ from here on. And also, don't forget, the book is based on 100 over, way over, 100, well, way over, over 120 scriptures over 120 scriptures. So they don't know it because the scriptures are weaved within the text. So so, so in other words, it doesn't read like a regular Christian book where you quote the Bible everywhere. But it is weaved into the text where Jesus is just talking and quoting scriptures as he goes. So the reader doesn't even realize that they're reading a lot of scriptures, but at the end of at the end of the read, they they've accumulated a lot of biblical understanding and knowledge. So it's very biblical as well. Uh, so that's it. I mean, I just wanted to share all this with you guys tonight. And it, why am I sharing this with you guys? Well, simple. Every single one of us has someone who needs Jesus. Simple as that. I mean. I've seen it in the last two, three years, the way Christians were dealing with the situation, the pandemic and all that, and the way others were dealing, the, the non-believers, it was day and night. I kid you not. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it really, sh- there was a definite huge difference between the way believers who had a relationship with God were dealing with the situation and unbelievers the way they were dealing with. And it was very hard on, on a lot of people. A lot of people needed the light of Jesus, needed that hope and to feel that love and that, that they are in a relationship with a loving God who is going to take them through and hear their prayers. And, and uh, you know, they, they need God, they need Jesus. So that's the reason I wrote the book. So I hope it proves to be a valuable tool uh, in your hands as you uh, as, as you um, as you share it with your family, with your loved ones, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. I hope it provides a valuable. And like I said, for a limited time, it's on Amazon, and uh, for on the Kindle version is ninety nine cents only. Make sure you don't miss that. It won't be ninety nine cents forever. Right now it's the launch and I'm keeping it at 99 cents for as long as I possibly can. And I, pr- I pray that the book becomes a blessing in your life. I it get, Guys, let me know. Huh? Please let me know. Contact support at thrivingonpurpose.com. If you bought the book and gave it to someone and that person gave their life to Christ and it changed their lives, let us know. 
it's going to encourage us. It's going to encourage our ministry. We don't hear enough of that good stuff and we want to hear it. So make sure you let us know about these things. Okay. So I hope this broadcast has blessed you. Uh, if it has, make sure you share it with as many people as possible. And I will see you next week. Be blessed. Thrive on. And if you buy the book and it is a blessing, don't forget to leave a review on Amazon. See you next time.